And let's open up. We're going to be looking at primarily 1 Corinthians 11, but we may look at some things in 1 Corinthians 10. And this morning as we look and focus on the Lord's table. And this morning, the title of today's message is, What Takes Place at the Lord's Table? Now, at different times, we will have the table with the elements here, and at various times, we've had a single table here. And so we talk about the Lord's Table. We're certainly going back to time when Jesus instituted uh, what we would say is communion, when He was with His disciples and celebrating the Passover, and He distributed the bread and the wine and uh, he um, uh, instituted what we as the, and, and churches continue and celebrate as one of the ordinances of the church. The other ordinance that we uh, believe is important for the local church is water baptism. And so those are two important ordinances. Uh, some churches call them a sacrament, sacrament ordinances. Don't get hung up on the terminology. But those are two things that are to be incorporated into the celebration, worship, of the church body, the local church body. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, should be on the screen, uh, just let me begin by reading in verse 23 and 24. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, and also is on the screen. For I receive from the Lord, this is Paul writing here, giving the uh, account of Jesus instituting uh, communion, the, the Lord's table celebration. For I receive from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The church, as I said, celebrated this probably daily. They celebrated it regularly that they incorporated as they gathered together and met together and incorporated that again into their, their agape meal, their love feast uh, that's oftentimes called. But this morning, uh, what... Uh, what is the importance of the Lord's table? Why, what is it uh, intended to do for us? Why should we uh, be something that we take seriously? And what should we be reminded of? And so in 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, there's, th- there's some elements there that I want us to look at. A lot happens at the Lord's table. A lot happens when we celebrate at the Lord's table. And so there's different features here that we want to be reminded of. And any time that we do celebrate uh, communion, the Lord's table, that each one of these are at least emphasized. Uh, we will have a different elder lead us, and this morning I'm doing that. And so uh, what, are some of these, what are some of these things that we need to be reminded of, that we need to keep in focus? And maybe you're here today, and maybe you grew up in a particular tradition, and it was just kind of a ritual you did, and perhaps thought there was something unique in the, in the, the juice or the wine and the bread that gave you some kind of special powers or whatever, you know, kind of thing, and there's something kind of mystical about it, and, uh, and, or maybe you just kind of did it, again, as, and you really never understood. Well, let me encourage us this morning by considering seven different elements this morning as we prepare and consider what happens at the Lord's table. But before we do that, let us pray one more time and ask God's blessing on the Word. Father, we are, again, grateful for this time of gathering Lord, is this local body, we pray today, God, that you would, uh, uh, Lord, encourage us in your word. We're thankful for, God, the, the word of God that we have to draw from, that the word of God is your voice speaking to your church. And so this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
So as we prepare to receive communion this morning, what, what takes place at the Lord's table? Why do, we, uh, why do we do, what do we do when we come here on any given Sunday or particularly today? And let me share with you seven areas that uh, should be in the forefront of our mind. The first is we come to the Lord's table to remember Christ's saving work on the cross. We gather together to remember Christ's saving work on the cross. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, Jesus said in the same way, recounting, Paul's recounting uh, the time that he instituted with his disciples, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup, do I not have that? There it is. Uh, let me start over. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, uh, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The first and probably the most familiar aspect of what takes place at the Lord's table in communion is remembering what Jesus has done, remembering the work of Christ. What do we remember? We remember his sacrifice for sin and consequently our deliverance from sin. Uh, we remember his payment for the penalty of sin, and thus our forgiveness of sin. We remember his death for our life. It was the victory of the cross that was the defeat and the crushing of the serpent, Satan, that was defeated. And the cross reminds us of Christ's divesting of hell of the souls that of all who would believe. And yet Jesus knows us very well when he says, remember, some of us are prone to forget, aren't we? You may have trouble forgetting ATM numbers. Has that ever happened? It happened one time buying dog food of all places. I just went blank. I couldn't remember. And the more you do it, what'll happen? You'll get locked out. Oh, man, so uh, forgetful. How about internet passwords? My wife, now I know there's all sorts of little things that you, you know, they have or whatever, and I probably would do well to try to remember more of those and have those little password things where you don't have to remember all, and it does it for you. I get all that. Uh, my wife has the most creative way of making up passwords, and so every once in a while, we have to go through this ritual. Do you remember what that is? I wrote it down somewhere, and then you have to go through this whole deal of getting a new password and all, and how many of you do that on a regular basis? You just go blank, you know, something you do once or twice a year, and you think, what is that? Did I put the number? Did I do this, do that? Well, Jesus knows us well because he knows that we're prone to be forgetful, and as I've said many times when I've looked at that verse, I, if I was a disciple and Jesus said, here he was on the night of his betrayal uh, on the eve of before when he would be arrested and lead to his crucifixion, that he's telling his most inner circle, remember. I'd be like, what are you talking about? We'll, we'll never forget this moment. Really? Really? I mean, Remember the hymn that we oftentimes will sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and the line, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So when we gather together, it's a time of remembering what Jesus has done. It's a time of remembering what Christ has accomplished. We remember his death, the bread, we remember 
that he gave his body, the cup that he shed his blood. We remember the saving work of the cross. And what is our response to that is obviously humility, but also is worship, praise. Thanks be to God for what Christ has done. I love the scripture in Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 that says, in him we have obtained. Notice that's past tense. We have obtained. If you're a believer, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, you have obtained an inheritance. Having been, past tense, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, some things, all things, according to the counsel of his will, verse 12, so that, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, what's the goal, might be to the praise of his glory. So we worship, we're thankful for the finished work of Christ, and we remember that. Secondly, we come to the Lord's table to partake of Christ's presence. We come to the Lord's table to partake of Christ's presence. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, a chapter over if you're in 11, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Some of you uh, know and what the amplified uh, version is. A, uh, it's not so much a translation as much as it's a helpful, uh, 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 well, we'll say translation, but it, what it does is for English readers who d- don't know Greek is oftentimes it will expand and give you broader or more expanded word meanings that brings out the Greek or the Hebrew in Scripture. And it's a helpful uh, study, but it makes oftentimes passages and scriptures much longer. So if you're planning to read the Bible through in the Amplified Version, you need the four-year plan, you know, because it just, you know, it just has so much there. But anyway, listen how the Amplified, it won't be on the screen, I didn't put it there, but the Amplified says, the bread which we break, does it not mean that in eating it, we participate in and share a fellowship? We share a fellowship or a communion in the body of Christ. So it is here when we participate in communion together as the church that we are partaking of Christ's presence. We celebrate a union with Christ. The Bible speaks a lot about our union with Christ. It might not necessarily use that word, but just think of, I won't give the references, but listen to this. We are created in Christ. Speaking of our union with Christ, we are created in Christ Uh, Ephesians 2.10. We are crucified with Christ. We are crucified with Him, our union with Him. We are baptized in Him. We are buried with Him. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. We are, uh, Romans 6.5 says that we are united with Him in His resurrection. We are participants in what Christ has done by faith. We, by faith, are that his death was our death. 
His, his burial was our burial. His resurrection was our resurrection. His life is our life. There's a union that we have in Christ. And even Ephesians 2.6 says that our union even extends to where the Bible says that we are now seated with him in the heavenlies, speaking about our union. So when we talk about coming together at the Lord's table and celebrating communion, real communion is that partaking of and joining in the presence of Christ. Now, various uh, Christians through the centuries have tried to parse this and understand what all this means. And rather than getting into a whole theological issue concerning that, let me make clear what we're not saying, and probably one of the most distinctives from what, what we would teach in this body, in this church, and even as uh, Protestants, is we are not saying, and don't want to be misunderstood, that we're not saying what Roman Catholicism teaches and what they, what they call transubstantiation, which means that in the Eucharist celebration that the priest in his uh, separating the elements that the body and Jesus are literally present in the bread and the wine, that it literally is transformed into the literal body and blood of Christ. Well, I'm not, the Bible does not teach that. Uh, because again, there's the implication as Jesus being re-sacrificed again. Uh, Hebrews is clear on that. So we're not saying that. We're not, uh, we're not supporting that. And there's various other nuances to that. But what we are saying, and this is where I think sometimes as in our tradition, we can go to one or two extremes. And oftentimes the extreme that we go to is we look at the elements just kind of in a cold, dead, symbolic way. You know, it's just bread, it's just juice, it's just wine, however you, you, know, however you serve. Uh, now churches have, uh, what, non-geo or whatever, that, what is it, non-gluten-free, you know, all that. Well, we're, we're, we're not that sophisticated. It's matzah, you, you know, so anyway, um, that's what we use here. Uh, but, um, but, you know, I, in, my, in my tradition, my background, my church upbringing, it was just kind of, uh, you know, you went through the whole service, then you kind of just tacked it on, and, oh, yeah, we got 10 minutes, let's do communion, whatever, and you left, and you think, what was that all about, you know? And uh, so I think there's somewhere we can grow, right? There's something we can grow in our understanding where, where the celebration of the Lord's table, that there's more going on there, but certainly, you know, we don't subscribe to, to the view of our uh, Roman Catholic friends. That's not our understanding. But there is a sharing, if we could say it that way, a participation in the blood of Christ, a sharing in the body of Christ. There is, an act, there is real communing that is taking place there. I mean, we talk about water baptism. When somebody is water baptism or, or water baptized, it is more than just getting wet, right? You actually believe something uh, uh, spiritual that God is is using in that in that symbol uh, symbols like communion baptism they are symbols of a spiritual reality. When we talk about water baptism. We're saying this is a symbol of a spiritual reality. The holiness and the the water. If we can talk about baptism, the water is pumped in somewhere in Polk County. I mean, there's you know we don't get a special import from Israel, you know, from uh, the Red, I don't know, wherever we would get, the Jordan River or whatever. Uh, you know, it's water, but what makes it distinct? What makes this building? Is this building, is, are the chairs and the, the, the 
steel and the, the drywall and all the pieces, are they necessarily holy in of themselves? No, but they're set apart because of their spiritual use. Does that make sense? Okay, so communion in and of itself, the elements do not become the body and literal blood, but they are, but they are more than just, than just dead symbols and just that, that, that just, we're just, we're just eating bread. Doesn't matter what we do and how we do it. Just throw it on. You got five minutes. Let's get, let's get it in, get it out here. And I think there's more that going on there. So I think we have to recognize that there is a participation. Does that kind of make sense? I know that might've been a little clumsy in the way that came across, but, uh, but verse 17 adds a third dimension, and it's related to this. And number three, we come to the Lord's table to commune, not only in Christ, but with each other as saints. If you look through the epistles, the letters of Paul, Romans, I mean, go all the way through, and in most cases, Paul addresses believers as saints. You're a saint. Smile. You're a saint. The Bible calls you a saint. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, because we're talking about communion as a communing with each other as saints and as children of God, 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread and the one cup. Uh, one of the things that I think is, is lost a little bit in this understanding of our unity is perhaps even in the way that we do communion. Um, case that you didn't, this is a news flash, but they didn't have little plastic shot glasses in the New Testament. Now, I have to give credit to Mike Williams for calling him that, you know, and I'm not trying to be sad. But that, you know, because most people, if we pass, you know where I'm going with this, right? And you're looking at the person sitting next to you and thinking, I don't know, I don't know. I love them in the Lord and but I don't know if I want to drink after them, right? So um, am I, right? Am I, listen, y'all look at me like a bunch of, you know, that's true. And so we've accommodated that by these individual things, and, and some industrial person now has an all-in-one thing, you know, you pull the top off, and there's this, I don't know what that is. That it supposedly is a wafer that disintegrates, and I don't know what that is. It's like styrofoam. Uh, I don't know. And to get those things open, and that juice tastes like it's been stored down in some nuclear bomb shelter for 50 years, and you know. But we do all these creative things. But my point is, is that by by not having the common loaf, the, a single loaf, a single cup, there's something I think we miss in the visual symbolism that is meant to communicate the oneness that happens in the participation, say that ten times, of when we gather around the Lord's table. Even the lack of a table probably will, maybe should have a table and have at least that cup or that bread, just so that even though we take it maybe in individual form, I think that would be helpful just so that we are reminded that we are one body. There's a unity there. There's a communing together. It's a reminder that it's at the cross that all ground is level. Nobody here is more spiritual and more accepted than one another. All ground is leveled at the foot of the cross. We all come 
as needy men and women to the Savior Jesus. We are all together. We are all communing as sojourners, as beggars, if we could call it that. And so the symbolism of our oneness is represented in the communion, a spiritual unity. See, we live in a culture that has lost just the unity of a culture. We are fragmented. Uh, technology has made us, instead of being making us more unified, we are more fragmented than ever before. Uh, we are a community that perhaps in the past 100 years, 50, 60, 70 years, that where you grew up, you grew up and you live mostly in a lot of, unless you were a military uh, person, and I know some of you moved around a lot because your father or, and your family were military folks, but for the most part, you lived in a same neighborhood. Your grandparents, my grandparents lived in the same house for most of my years and my brother's years, and you got to know your neighbors, and if you grew up sometimes in an urban setting, you knew the community, you knew the generations that had moved there, you knew the teachers, so nobody could get, go kids could get away with anything because the teacher was on, you know, they were good friends, you went to church in the same parish, you don't understand what I'm saying? We have lost all that. We are fragmented. We go to our house, we open that garage door, and man, we hit that garage door like, leave me alone. Unity as brothers and sisters when you have anger and bitterness against somebody else. And Jesus talked about and said, look, speaking about bringing your gift to the altar in a, in a, in a, in the temple setting, you know, don't bring your gift to the altar, paraphrasing it. If you have ought or you have issues against somebody else, leave your gift there and go do the real spiritual heavy lifting and ask forgiveness. Lord, give me the spirit of love and let me just be free from this. Because you know who's being held in bondage when you have bitterness and anger? You. The other person's just doing their thing. La-di-da. They don't know don't care. You're the one that every time you're around them, you got that smile where you're gritting your teeth. And, and you know, and if something bad happens to them, you would never admit this to anybody. But inwardly, your sinful nature just has a little rejoicing party because you're just glad that they're getting theirs to come around. And you know who's being tortured by that? You are being tortured by that. You're in bondage to that whole thing. So if it's private sin issues, Keep it private. But if it's something that has come out and you've shared words and there's issues there, then by all means, be real. Listen, I have never understood why Christians, if we can't do this thing among ourselves, do we really expect the folks on the outside to take this seriously? You can't even love and forgive each other. Somebody looks at you the wrong way and you leave the church. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you do what? That you, now notice he says a commandment. Notice he doesn't say a suggestion. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And what's the example? Just as I loved you. When did he love you? When you were in deep sin, Christ died for you, for the ungodly. Can you top that? No. No. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But look at verse 35. As the witness, by this all people will know that you're my disciples 
that you belong to me if you have love for one another. I don't think I have this 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you do not love your brothers that Christ died for, then you probably have never been born again because you cannot hate and be angry. You might get ticked off, and they might, it might be a legitimate reason, right? Well, I'm just, I'm just justified in the way I feel. Right. God was justified in sending you to hell, but he didn't. Okay? So you want to go there and have that argument? You will lose every time. Grace trumps everything, right? And so be gracious. The example, I love this person, I give sacrificially, I forgive them, because no matter what they did, well, they didn't return my lawnmower back, they didn't do this. I got a pressure washer, I got to bring that man over there. So I just, see how the Holy Spirit speaks to you? (laughs) You get it? We get it. Say you get it. All right, where are we at? Number four, we come to the Lord's table to worship in the holiest of place. This is a holy occasion. This is, let me look at it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22. Let me read this, and then let me give the principle here. Paul says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you, he's writing to the believers at Corinth, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord. Again, he's talking about all in the big context of the Lord's table. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Here's what he is saying here. That it, remember, again, it's in the context of the believers at the Lord's table, is that our worship, our worship should be singular. He's saying you should not, when you, have, when you come and celebrate at the Lord's table, communion, that it should be a reminder that I'm not to have a divided heart, divided loyalties. Remember the Corinthian situation. These are Gentiles who became Christians. What was their background? They were pagans. They had come out of false religions where they had feasts and festivals and sexual immorality that was tied to all the worship of false gods and these false deities and their demonic worship. And the Apostle Paul is giving us a principle when he says, you cannot come to the Lord's table, the table of the Lord, and then turn around and participate in a pagan festival. You can't do both. You can't live in two worlds. This is a holy occasion. This, is a, this isn't just some dead ritual that is taking place here. So how does that connect with us? You cannot worship at the table of the Lord, and he calls it the table of demons. Pretty strong. You have to come apart. You have to separate yourself. The word holy means what? Separate. Separate. There's no place in our lives for mixed loyalty. There's no place for hanging on to anything that is false, anything that is demonic, anything that is of the darkness. I mean, if you're a Christian, 
and you still dabble and participate in things that are clearly unbiblical, you're still reading and checking your horoscope every day. Now, that may seem like a trivial thing, but stop. Just stop. I mean, and if you're still dabbling and all a bunch of nonsense, now those are more extreme things, but it could be also that your, your moral character somehow isn't in sync with your spiritual character. Whatever it is that you do one thing, he's saying, and he'll talk about this in another principle, is again, the participation of the Lord's table is, is, a, is a serious thing. And because of the nature of it, you can't participate in the celebration of the Lord's table and then have this dual life, this double life you're leading where your actions and behavior is, is divided and you're living an entirely different life online or in some other endeavor. Hello? He, he's just saying that our focus should be singular. We are come, we come together, we leave it all and receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And the Lord's table provides us that opportunity for a fresh commitment to the Lordship of Christ. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You know what Lord means? It's not a manager. It is president, CEO, master. You are Lord of my life. I'm acknowledging that I am a servant and you are Lord. When we come together around the table, communion, and participate in that, we are, we are acknowledging that, Jesus, you are Lord. I am set apart by God. As a saint, I am set apart by God to be holy. Why? Because it was a holy God that has called me. Be ye holy, the Bible says. The Bible says in Hebrews, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they will what? They will see the Lord. God and impurity cannot co-dwell together. That's the reason, as we'll see in a little bit, there's an evaluation that takes place. In fact, that's the next point. Number five, we come to the Lord's table that brings us to the place of purification. Verse uh, 28, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. But a man, a person must examine himself, examine themselves, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. When you come to the table, figuratively, when you participate in communion, the bread and the drink the cup, there's an examination, or perhaps we should say an evaluation of your heart. Now, let's make sure you don't misunderstand what is being said here. This is not an examination to say, am I worthy to participate. That's not what is going on here. If you read it in context, the disturbance that was going on in Corinth. How many of you know they had a lot of disturbances? I mean, they were, they were charismatics on steroids. I mean, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff, all right? And one of the things in coming together, remember, the Lord's table was incorporated into this meal, this agape fest, fe uh, feast, and so when they would come together, if you look, uh, if you have your Bibles and just won't read it, uh, but in 1 Corinthians um, above that, it speaks about uh, of how when they would come together, um, yeah, I shouldn't have put my tab there, it keeps me from, it speaks about when they come together, verse 17, uh, kind of on down, uh, that they were all kind of uh, bringing food together. 
But it says, uh, he was saying that, uh, the re- verse 18, I guess I will read it. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 18, says when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. He said, and I believe it in part, meaning I know you folks. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you, you you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're, again, remember that they're incorporating this meal. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. We're not going to do that today. Um, What? Notice if you have the ESV, it says, what? Exclamation point. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? In other words, I'm at a loss for words. What's going on here? When they would come together and have this common meal, and the Lord's table was a a part of that, they would come together, they'd bring their Publix fried chicken and potato salad, and they would get together, and they make sure they ate all that potato salad and fried chicken and, because they didn't want to go hungry because they knew that this family over here couldn't afford to bring anything. And if they didn't eat their food, they would starve and not have anything to eat. So they just kind of, and they're like, look, this isn't a coming together to eat. It's not about eating food. And just by you doing that shows that your attitude and your heart is misplaced, Okay. That's, that's kind of what, so when he says examine, he's saying, look, your attitude is out of sync with the spiritual reality of what is going on here. You with me? All right, I'm going to preach longer if you don't say, yes, we get it. Even if you don't, just pretend, all right? Here's the principle. If we come to communion and the Lord's table in a haphazard, frivolous, superficial way, without an honest evaluation, not trying to say, you know, am I saved today? Am I a believer? Now, again, if you're in doubt and lack assurance, there may be a genuine time of questioning of whether, but that's not what's happening here because keep in mind, the Lord's table is for believers. It's for Christians. And so you come to the Lord's table, it is a time, yes, of confession, of repentance, of getting my attitude, my heart right. As we said earlier, you can't have bitterness and unforgiveness and then go through some charade of participating in the Lord's table in, this, in, a, in a holy occasion of the church. And that's why by doing it often, by doing it regularly, you're keeping that in, in that symbol and those spiritual realities represent those symbols. You're, you're constantly uh, calibrating. Some of you that work in machinery, you know what? things that have to be calibrated. Is that a term? I I like that word. Because you know what happens if you don't calibrate something? You may get a, you know, it may look fine for the first week, two weeks, three weeks, but at some point, that thing is out of whack. And the widgets it's producing looks like something from another planet. And you're like, what happened here? Because we didn't calibrate the machinery. Well, as spiritual people, we need to be we need to be calibrated every once in a while. The Lord's table celebrates, enables us to recalibrate, get our hearts and minds in alignment as Christians, as followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit showing us and revealing our heart. Now, see, again, in recent years, in, in many recent years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the church has been in this quest to attract 
and grow, but they've gone down this, this, this exit lane, this exit street, and trying to build a worship service to attract unbelievers. Unbelievers do not, cannot worship God. So what have we done in churches? We have built churches that are built around entertainment. And so as long as we entertain them, they'll come. You build a church on entertainment, right? What do you get? You get people that are just, I mean, and where is the spiritual vitality? So how are you going to have a serious understanding of what the Lord's table is in communion because it is not a celebration for believers. It is a ce- I mean, unbelievers. It is a celebration for believers, those who have been born again. If you are not born again, if you are not a Christian, I don't care if you're a member of this church or you're a member of some other church, if you are not born again, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, by all means, do not mock the Lord's table by participating in it. It will not make you save by drinking the juice and the bread. It's not going to transform into doing something mystical. Hello? So we water down in this understanding of what the worship around the Lord's table is all about because we have watered down in, the, in this approach in trying to draw and create a worship service with a bunch of nonsense. Number six, we come to the Lord's table as a place of proclamation. Look at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death until he comes. That should be point number six. We come to the Lord's table as a place of proclamation. When we come together, we're remembering and we're proclaiming the Lord's death. I can't think of a more, talk about attracting unbelievers. I don't want to use the word attract, but unbelievers seeing a church, an unbeliever comes into the setting of the believers gathering and they slip in and they see a communion service that is in biblical fashion and form, and they see worship. They see the reality of the body of Christ, of who He really is. They see a celebration of the cross, the remembering of His death. They see sin confronted in our own lives. They see the symbolic act uh, that are uh, happy to proclaim Christ as the body and the blood of Christ. They see that it's a time of great joy and celebration of what Christ has done and who we are in Christ. And they say they see that, and the Holy Spirit uses that means, like preaching is a means by which the Holy Spirit works. If I'm taking a trip to California, yes, God can transpose me, but he probably won't do that. I have to buy a ticket, get on a plane, fly. That's the most economical, easy way. In other words, there's means that God uses. How does he exercise his purposes and his sovereignty but through means? And he uses the means of, of these elements and this celebration and worship that when the... And remember, Paul talks about even when he's talking about the excesses of the spiritual gifts. He said, yes, there should be a... The principle is a, when, the, when an unbeliever comes in and sees the Spirit of God truly at work in his midst, that is something that God says that I can use in drawing this person to myself. But if it's just kind of a casual, whimsical approach, and we really don't take it, well, I don't even know why we do this. 
Do you think anybody's going to take that seriously? I don't think so. Number seven, the last. This is also that the Lord's table anticipates the future kingdom of God. Let me go back to Matthew 26, 29. It'll be on the screen. This is Jesus speaking this. He says, "I, I tell you, I will not drink again in, his, in the context of instituting the Lord's table, as we call it. I tell you, he says to his disciples, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Hmm. What, does that, what does that say to us? It means that there is a perpetual, continual nature of the Lord's table. That, that Jesus is saying that one day when we are with Christ in, his, in the consummation of the kingdom. And again, time doesn't allow to get in the various understandings of how, when, and how all that works out. But here's, here's the cliff note versions. Anybody remember cliff notes? Here's the, here's the cheater version. Jesus is coming back. Okay? Acts chapter 1, as, after he was conversing with his disciples, they saw him ascend bodily into heaven. And an angel, angel said, why are you gazing up into heaven? Do you not know? And listen to the words very carefully. This same Jesus not some cult member born in Korea or South America or even in Kathleen for all that that matters. This same Jesus, bodily, physically, he didn't didn't rise from the dead as a spirit ghost. He bodily was raised. He will bodily return. And however you work out your understanding of the timetable and don't say, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It does matter. Christians have historically had various understandings because, again, there's some areas that just aren't cut and dried, and so we arrive at it with our best understanding. But whatever form or fashion, Jesus will one day literally bodily, physically return and put his feet on the Mount of Olives and establish his kingdom that will never, ever end. That we do know because the Bible is clear on that. And so somehow, in the outworking of whatever that ultimately looks like, Jesus says one thing that will be a continuum is that we will participate in this table of celebration because I will not eat of the fruit of the vine again until I am in or until drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, again... There's some, again, I don't want to get off of that. I don't even want to say it because it'll confuse things. It isn't a renewed sacrifice, but just as in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system pointed to the ultimate Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish, without stain. So when we gather at the Lord's table, there's not a reinstituting of the sacrifice of the body and and shed blood of Christ. We are reflecting backward on the finished work of Christ. Old Testament believers were saved by faith looking forward in anticipation to the finished work of Messiah. We are saved looking back at the finished work of Messiah. 
And so one of the things that Jesus is very clear about is this celebration of his finished work of Calvary on the cross is something that for eternity will continue to be celebrated. So let me ask you, if this is something that will have perpetual celebration, do you not think it's important enough for us to incorporate that as believers here and now? There's not a lot of things you're going to do in eternity. You will never get ripped off by SunPass overcharging you in eternity. (laughs) Right? There's a lot of things, thank God, we won't do. But one of the things that we will do is Jesus said... On the first Sunday of the month, no, he didn't say that. He said, this is something we're going to do. Because my work, what I've done, what I will do in Matthew 26, this is something that will, eternity will never exhaust the praise and celebration and worship of what Christ has done on our behalf. Think about that. Well, how long do we have to do this? How much further, Daddy, do we have to go? Well, we just left three minutes ago. We got four hours. How far, how long, Jesus, do we have to keep doing this? Why? Because it can never be exhausted. It will be eternally celebrated of what Christ has done. Look at, just as we conclude, these two scriptures from Revelation. And I chose these from Revelation because Revelation, as you further get into Revelation, speaks about the consummation of the kingdom and the return of Christ. But look at how Revelation 1, 5 through 7 reads, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Am I in Revelation? Do I not have those up there? I don't. Oh, my bad. Okay. Well, just listen to them. Sorry about that. Listen to this. Revelation. Turn your Bibles. Revelation, for some of you, it's the last book of the Bible. Look at, and we'll just read two, two passages, but they're worthy of, of reading. We're looking back. We're celebrating. Notice how in this final book that speaks about the fulfillment of the work of Christ, Revelation 1, look at verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us, notice the past tense, from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, freed us by his blood, that's Calvary, that's the cross, made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion for how long? Forever and ever. Amen. When we gather for the celebration, it's a reminder that there is a future as believers. This is not just it. 